You're listening to Business Eye, sponsored by your local enterprise office in Dunleary Ratdown. Together, we're making it happen. And welcome to another week of Business Eye. I don't know what to say this week. Last week, I said lockdown week. This week, we're going to say lockdown week number 55. It feels like that. But I honestly believe that if you have a good mindset, you'll get through this and you'll feel really good about yourself and the environment that you're in. I was speaking to Simon before the break and I sort of said, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are in fear or it's really getting to them at the moment, but it all, it all really focuses on your, on your mind. So look, everyone, if you are feeling that way, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, feel positive and love yourself. That's all I can say, because if you don't, no one else will. No one else will indeed. We have a couple of great guests on today. First slot of the show, we're going to be talking about innovation and uh, generating growth. So before we get into that, Simon, how are you? What's happening, good. my friend? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, Joe. And uh, you're right, you're so right. You know, there's a lot of people who are struggling. And, uh, you know, I like to say that everything passes, you know, bad stuff passes, good stuff passes as well. And I think we just need to hang in there. You know, we all need to hang in there. And, and this too shall pass. So I just wanted to say that, you know, I think we're all, we are all in this together. Let's forget about political slogans. We're all in this together. So... Uh, so I'm looking forward to this chat as well. We've got two really wonderful guests, and I, I know Su- I know Susie very well, and it's great to see Mary. So it's, it's interesting you say that. Did, did Charles Hawhey once say we're all in this together and tighten our belts um, many <laughs> many moons ago? Yeah. But yes, um, one of our guests today is Mary Cronin. Mary specialises in development of circular and bio-based economics, and she works with SMEs and large organisations. 15 years of experience, she combines her expertise with innovation and design to create scaling opportunities. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Delighted to be with you. Thank you. And Simon. Yeah, so it's great to see you, Mary. And our second guest I, I've known for, for a while now is uh, Dr. Susie Mitchell, PhD. That's the full title. I know you as Susie. It's great to see you, Susie. So Susie, Susie lives in the UK. She runs a, you run a personal development corporate coaching consultancy. You're a psychoneurologist, professional coach, master practitioner in, NL, in NLP. You're the author of Satnav for the Soul and the S Word. Plenty of work on radio, BBC Radio. Um, you're a wonderful person as well. You're, you know, Susie and I have collaborated a bit online and you have a wonderful soul. So, um, well, great, there we go. Four, four beautiful <laughs> souls. We, we, we'll, we'll get into singing a song now, will we? Will we do a song? <laughs> we That's it. <laughs> we could indeed. Welcome, folks. Welcome, folks. With the circumstances at the moment and with, you know, innovation, which is very important. And we can see that there's so many innovative ideas after developing over the last two years. <laughs> and with that comes communication. And with that comes the people that are surrounded, which is as well. So I'll, I'll open it up to yourselves. How do you see what's happened in 2020 and coming into 21, how innovation is growing within each of your sectors? That's interesting. I can, I can kick off, Joe. Thank you. That's a great question. So I guess one of the things that COVID has really thrown up is, is how dependent we are even on, for example, our supply chains. And you look at local versus global. Um, and you look at where we're bringing our tomatoes from, transferring them halfway across the world, when in fact we could grow a lot of that produce ourselves um, and we could grow it locally and how we could move even from urban to regional and what that would mean for people. It would mean local jobs. It would mean if we can set up regional hubs and the Department of Energy and Department of Agri are doing great work in and around stimulating some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. And we know in countries like Denmark and in Nordic countries, reg- thematic regional hubs are work amazingly. So what that means is, for example, in Kerry, we could have a food hub. In the Midlands, the Bordnamona regions, we could have a renewable energy hub. And the government, uh, like the Department of Agri and Food, are doing a great job, actually, at the moment in looking to see how we can develop these. But what that means for people is, you know, the word innovation is a bit bandied around and people talk about innovation, you know, and, and they use it as a word. It's a bit like disruption. I don't particularly like it. But, um, but what it means for people at a local level is that uh, we can bring um 
grow companies at a local level, create more jobs, create communities, um, even from a renewable aspect, reuse the waste that we're using. You know, we have all of this waste that has come out of the likes of restaurants and come, come out of our factories and we're dumping it. And in fact, that could be turned into a revenue stream. And that's what circular economy is all about and circular innovation. Wow. And then, Susie, from a leadership, from the sort of clients that you work with, the leaders and, and how they communicate in organizations, I mean, how do you see them using this circuit breaker time to think and communicate differently and, and you know, perhaps innovate in the way they communicate and lead and, and inspire? Well, I want to link it back to Mary, what she said. I think so many opportunities are coming out of this time you know, it's the first time in history we've all, we've all had to pivot. We've all had to rethink our whole strategy. And even one of my clients are going into vertical farming to, to marry, you know, what you said, Mary, because the opportunity is going to be huge. Keep it local, you know, and regional mm. rather than going global. And the whole packets of thinking science, I believe in, certainly from a leadership perspective with the clients I'm working with, they're really yeah. taking it so high to another level with ideas with scaling with innovation that they've never ever had that time to think because everybody's so busy in their lanes as we all know and nobody gets chance i know it's a cliche to stop and smell the roses literally because they just think that that's the vein they sh they've always done and they should stay in it's a huge reset of opportunity Here's something, Mary, that, that someone spoke to me last year about renewable energy and growing, um, you say, tomatoes. It's like the big data centers that we have and the energy that are in those data centers. That what's the possibility of all that open land that is usually around those data centers to funnel the heat from those data centers into greenhouses around the data centers that could then help grow vegetables all year round are in climates that aren't used to growing them. What's your thoughts on that? Yes. So there's, there's a number of things there. And um, there's a lot happening in the renewable space and renewable energy. And we certainly have great opportunities in Ireland, especially in the Midlands. There's a new incubator opened up called The Cube. Um, and I recently just spoke to them and it's really to focus on how do we generate this, this renewable space. Um, but I guess really, if we look at, we don't even need to even even need to go from when you're talking about growing all that in, in from a land aspect. There's vertical farming, but there's also the piece even around even reusing. We can grow new crops, but we can also reuse that waste. We can also take waste that's coming from even the likes of Google now are talking about um, the quantities of waste that they're rather than sending it to landfill they're sending it back into what we call anaerobic digesters so in Ireland with a number of anaerobic digesters and, and the way that works is you could take all your restaurant waste or your the waste that comes from food in 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 the likes of Google or Apple and you can feed it into the anaerobic digester and we create byproducts from that and that's like biogas and that's generates goes back to the grid and, and it's another form of energy. So in Germany on all farms, they're taking, they're reusing all of their waste. Um, and it could be, for example, from the cattle or, or the animals, and it's fed into the anaerobic digester and, and the waste is generated. We have a huge opportunity to do that here in Ireland, but we have legislation and some policy issues that's prohibiting us currently. So one of the things that we've been doing over the last, over the last two years is really looking at pulling people together and um, that be that from community are from regions and from government and policymakers and saying, look, we need to collaborate now more than ever. And people need to understand, you know, even some of the terminology, the difference between the circular economy and the bioeconomy or bio-based, the terminologists used in climate. And what does it mean for us and how can we make it happen? And Su Susie, Mary mentioned people there at the end. And, and how do you think, you know, companies and leaders should or, or maybe are starting to think about how they treat their people better? Right. I mean, you know, for, for decades we were commuting for endless, you know, hours and, and we had all these hierarchies, etc. Are you seeing any of your clients or at any companies now starting to think a bit differently and treating their people better? Totally, totally. Um, they have to, you know, the, the old thinking is, as we said, it's in the past. It's all oh, you have to come up with innovative ways of how you're going to scale and how you're going to grow your businesses. And I, you know, I applaud Mary for 
going out and lobbying what you can do in Ireland. But I think we can all look at our own companies and see how can we be better? How can we um, get our companies, our businesses more sustainable through the people? And it is a, a shift in mindset. You know this, Simon, and I know this. It's definitely, you know, we need to open up the mindset, but again, get guidance and mentoring and definitely to think differently. And some people need to rejoin the rewiring again, because yeah. again, conditioning, I am so such a big advocate that conditioning of the leadership team of an organization drives the team. You know, if that has old fashioned thinking, the whole organization is never going to be innovative. It's never going to move forward with leadership. That's so interesting. I yeah, it's yeah. definite. And yeah. I see that Joe in all the companies and I work in such a myriad of um, companies, you know, all types. And it's the conditioning that to me yeah. in this change yes. that we've had to pivot in the last year that is the change. It's a conditioned mindset that does not know how to think again. Mm. And people yes. like myself and Simon are going in to help these organizations rethink again. It's rewiring the brain. It absolutely. Is but that's it, Susie. If, if you think about it, everything then, you know, is driven between uh, purpose and meaning. When, when you go in to develop a new product or a new service or, you know, a new psyche within the industry. And we know that when we go into organizations and the four of us will go into an organization and speak to staff members. And sometimes it's the mindset in the, in the organization that needs to shift first before we can introduce the new technology, the new ideas. So how do you how do you first find out what where is the issue and how do you direct that to move the company forward then as well Susie great question I'm uh, one of the um, strategies I use I go in and I read the energy of an organization so I go in for a week or so before I'm going to do some work and I observe how people work together what's their posture like even walking the corridors how do they interact with people I'm looking at patterns as a psychologist I'm looking at patterns to see and test the measure of energy. We've been talking about renewable energy, but you've got to get the energy of the, per the organization first. And I will see, you know, I have scales that I measure it on. And then I show the evidence to the leadership team and say, you know, these are the departments that either need to align better because they're so disconnected. You know, technology might not be speaking to the value chain, customer services might not respect sales and all that comes into the mix and you absolutely can change the whole energy of an organization but you've got to know where you're at exactly as you you're like to you're like the secret shopper in the car dealership popping in dropping in there but that but that's important you use the word alignment susie and and i think it's all about alignment in organizations you know you, you have to have the right people with the right drive and strategy and opportunities and then mary you know from a technology perspective and the whole circular economy thing i guess it all needs to be aligned as well you need political will you need the right technology how does a you know how does a, a country ensure that it's sufficiently aligned in all respects that's a great question and just to pick up from where susie left off there the whole piece of growth mindset is part of all our programs um and even in we're talking to the government and Eamon Ryan and Patrick Barrett in DAFM and, and our regional hubs, trust is a key part of all of this. Um, and along the lines, um, you know, you know, we'll take, for example, food, agri and bio based products with primary producers. You might be talking about farmers and fishers, foresters, trust got got lost along the way um, and one of the things now to build the bioeconomy um, and to build the biocircular economy um, is trust needs to be built again in, in some of these these regional hubs and it's about collaboration and bringing people together um, and bringing key influencers together as well and having people like Susie and a lot of what we do within our you know our organization is around the whole behavioral mindset change and when we're going in we're doing a program and um, we have to start with you know like people around the table there's a there's a trust piece there but also understanding that consumer behavior is changing and for companies, say, for example, in the circular economy, legislation is changing from Europe, which means that in 18 months time, two years time, companies will be mandated to move from linear, which means that they're not treating their waste in any particular way, to circular, meaning that you're always thinking about dematerialization and in the life product. 
companies, our company, European companies, would be mandated to move circular. For some companies, that would be easy. For the companies who have a, a change mindset and could say, okay, you know, how do we do this? For other companies, they won't survive in that. Um, and that's part of what we're, we're talking to people about and saying, look, we've run this pathway to the circular economies purely to, to tell them about to tell them about what's coming down the line, what does it mean, what does it mean for you, and what change we collectively need, need as a as a country as a whole. But I think so, that's quite normal as well that you have some companies that will thrive and companies that will move on that won't be able to uh -huh. um, take up what what's coming down the line. And you know that's that's part of the economics and a part of the structure on it. But are you finding that more? old established companies are embracing this or is it new companies that are coming through which are steering the charge yeah you know there's a mix joe and i guess it's it's kind of aligned to what, what what susie was saying earlier you know it's the people within the companies and it's the people who's driving the companies and it's the board you know or some boards think you know circular is just is just another another fad you know who whoever thought in COVID we could change and move this fast um so yes companies like the google and the apple have lots of money to do their dematerialization and back and refurbish their goods and, and get all of those materials back and um, and other companies just don't have the bandwidth you know they're struggling to survive and then to think about you know converting from linear to circular but that's where government has to come in on this and where we public and private partnership people like Susie uh, and the whole mindset collaborative policy it's big picture thinking you know like Eamon Ryan has been talking about it Department of Energy and the climate action groups and we talk about it, how we move from global to local but we have to explain what global to local means how we change our supply chains how we think about how we buy our food and buy our food locally and that whole trust element comes into it so so there's yeah. a number of factors there we've mentioned the mind and trust a lot and, and susie you've written you know satnav for the soul does a company have a soul right and if it does how does a company's soul manifest Oh, that's a great way of putting it. You know, my little book, I've written a couple of books, but, you know, it wasn't, it was about the individual, but I guess you scale it up into company. Every company has a soul. Every company has a heartbeat that resonates with the collective people in it. Absolutely. And, and it does start with thinking. Then it starts with all their values. You know, then it starts with how they align, how they live, how they act. So there's so much. Absolutely 100%, Simon. I, I think it's communication at, you know, at the end of the day that if any company wants to survive or grab that idea of what's going on through lockdown, especially with how companies are evolving now, it's communication. And I think communication is more important today than it has been over the last couple of years, because we're all living in our little isolation boxes looking at each other through these beautiful things called screens and feeling connected, but isolated and disconnected at the same time. And I think it's crucial that in any large organization, small or whatever it may be, that the people need to, the higher level, the managers, the C-suite executives need to actually, even every day, have a 10 minute call with everybody every day just to say, I'm here to support you. How are you getting on? I understand the situation you're in and how can I help? And a lot of companies, I don't think, are doing that today. Oh, no, and, and, and just to build on that, Joe, you know, Mary, you mentioned trust. And, you know, I've, you know, I, I, you know there's a lot of leaders out there who seem to be saying things that are sort of, they're not, they're not really painting the full picture you know, of the, the difficulties that people are facing and they're, they're sort of papering over this stuff. And, you know, Susie, from a corporate perspective, and maybe Mary, you can talk then from a, you know, from, from your perspective, what, what's the best way for organizations to communicate that, you know, honestly, that things are tough, right? Um, but, but also at the same time, give a message of hope. How, how, how do you do that? How do corporations do that? Well, I think some of it, what Joe says does start with communication, but people have to feel valued. There has been so much disconnect and disjointing within teams, within organizations. Otherwise, people like myself and Mary probably wouldn't go in, you know, and both of you as well. We wouldn't go in to help 
do the alignment and help put the pieces back together. But I really do think the value of businesses have changed. You, you said, does it have a heartbeat? Does it have a soul? Yes, but I think the values, people aren't living their values. They were just on a hamster wheel going through the motions. And then we have, you know, a world crisis that is a wake up call. We all realize that. And I love what Mary said earlier. You know, we've had this opportunity to go faster and innovate at a higher level, you know, that we've never, ever had time to breathe and think before. Mm. But it purely is. I think it comes back down to what Joe said. You've got to connect with the individual and then you take it to the collective. But people matter more than anything. It's really, you know, how are you feeling and checking in and people having that open trust, honest conversation, because so many people don't have honest conversations in business. I think I think what it is that people have to realize, especially as we're talking about innovation and we're talking about business growth, is that an organization now is a community. People have to understand that, that, yeah. you know, yes. out of out of all our living day, if it's not for sleep, the rest of the time we spend thinking or living within the within the companies that that we are with. And companies have to sort of say, okay, I'm no longer a company. I'm an org. I'm I'm a community. And how do we help each person in the community? And you know, th there's two things that springing up for me, and it's for both of you in a way. It's for Mary, for you, it's you know the investing, and and Susie, for you, it's the education. How do we marry the two of them together to create value and innovation within an organization so investing investing in education yes within an organization if i could move that up, spread that out a little bit to say even building something like our regional hubs from local to global um, and i guess if you go back to um, even in investing if you're talking about investing even from a financial aspect and um, investing if we're building some of these hubs and we want to build our communities within our regional areas um, SMEs don't have the, the finance, the finances at the moment to do that. So that's where the government kicks in. That's where policy kicks in. And, and that's where building community really matters. You know, we've got to think, what's the bigger picture here? Where do we want to be in five years time as regards our, our low carbon communities, our, um, you know, our building our communities, jobs for people and building up our, our, our local communities as well. So there's a part about public and private um, funding that needs to happen. There's also the policy change and there's also the piece around, you know, even the pathway to circular economies, which we've been running at the moment, just help collaborating with people. And for me, building communities builds impact and creating authentic, and I know it's kind of, it's a word that gets bandied around a lot, but authentic collaborations, collaborations where we can connect. So it's about what Susie's talking about earlier. It's making connections with people. You know, we can all call meetings and have, you know, like, you know, not terribly authentic that we used to have in lar our large corporates years ago and that on our team building day out but more authentic connect people need connections and even at that local level you know in our regional hubs so we need to get back to the roots there's nothing new about the circular economy you know we all grew up in the circular economy you know so this idea of community building buying locally um you know reusing our waste repairing remanufacturing so there's nothing new about it but it's it's about connection perhaps i think it is i think it's been mindful um, of where you purchase and I think we're all finding that at the moment and and Susie that question to yourself education you're absolutely right Joe we don't know what we don't know you know we hear that expression but we've all grown up with our own conditioned thinking totally so this is why people like all of ourselves on this um, show here that we all go into organizations to bring our years of wisdom to the table, people do need to collaborate, to use Mary's words again. Collaboration is key in this economy now because we don't reach out to people who've had this collective wisdom and bring it into organizations. And anybody listening to your um, show here, Joe, it, it is about never think that you alone have to change the world in whatever like, lane we're in. It is about, we don't know what we don't know. We have to reach out and get educated from the people around us, from our connections, 
and really empower ourselves and therefore the rest of our organization through the people to get truly educated on what needs to happen. Like that education yeah. is Joe, you and I need to stick, we need to start collaborating more. You know that. I'll we do I'll cut the grass and you can do the hedges. I'll do the washing up. It, it's it's interesting when we're spot talking about collaboration and i think one of the big issues which is going to be sort of that russell um in innovation between ireland and england is brexit um and the cost element now that has increased between the two countries when we're trading in between i get i get very frustrated when um and when i and like even i was ordering something on amazon there again uh something for 200 euros and they, it was 45 quid to get it shipped to here so i rang up my friend in the north i'm getting a ship to them which is free and then they'll just send it down for five euros to me so you know yeah. that's just a, something on small scale but look at on the vast scale and the red tape like it we're shipping stuff over to the uk and it's going to take an extra week and a half to get it over than what it normally has happened as well. So all of innovation is great, but there's these small things. And, and, and Mary, you said it about getting the governments involved. You know, there's small mm. stuff that's that now is unthinkable that needs to be really corrected. It's interesting on that. And Susie, I mean, like there's going to come a time when the, the British government are going to have to fess up and say, the, the results of Brexit, right? And I'd imagine, I'd imagine a lot of them are going to be negative, right? <laughs> Just a hazard a guess. No how way. How do you think no the way. government... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do you think the government may communicate this stuff, Susie, say in six months, 12 months? Very interesting. Don't get me started on Brexit because, you know, however we all voted, it's, it's suddenly... It's affected, my son has a business over in Georgia near Russia and has products international and everybody's been affected, as Joe said, by getting goods out, even recently, Simon, with what happened between you yeah. and I, you know, yeah. it's unbelievable the changes, but from the government in the UK point of view, personally, and we've all got opinions and don't shoot the messenger, the communication hasn't has been very average at the British government level. Let's yeah. put it- They could more. just put everybody in prison. That. Exactly. I wouldn't think maybe average is too too kind to word, Joe, but it honestly, whoever's advising them from a communication prospect is not mm. doing the best job at yes. all. And it, it's been shocking. You know, it's it's sad to see it is whatever we, we, your political view. We are. need to give our governments uh, a bit of coaching practice in NLP, you know, on a not on a negative scale, but on Absolutely. the positive scale. That's it on it. I went out running just just quickly. I went out running yesterday to do some exercise. And this woman, I just walked along with my mask on. Normally we don't need them out with a mask on. And she, she jumped and I said, oh, are you all right? She said, I'm so scared of people. I'm so scared. I said, there's no need to be scared. I mean, where is the hope? Where yeah. is I'm scared. I'm scared of Rottweilers. That's, that's probably about <laughs> it. Just quickly before we go, um, give me 30, give me 30 seconds, uh, seconds each on... R&D, there, there's a, a hard one to know. Where should they start their investment? Is it mind, body, spirit? What, where should it be? Cash flow. Okay. Uh, research and development. That, that's an interesting question. Okay, so there's, there's a number of things, growth mindset, collaboration. Um, it's a mix of, of new thinking, bringing people together in, in an agile way. It all starts with the people. You're absolutely, you know, we can have the best um, products, services, everything like that, but it all comes back to the individual and then the collective. So absolutely, yeah. R&D has got to be on educating people, on bringing people together, as Mary says, a collective people. people. Yeah. Susie, what's your website if people want to reach out to you? It's susiemitchell.co.uk. So it's S-U-S-I-E, Mitchell with two L's, .co.uk. And Mary? Upthink.works, W-O-R-K-S. And Simon? Simon? Yeah, no, I think what I got out of this was that I, I think we all need society and companies. We all need to think two things. We need to think cohesive and inclusive growth. I think that mm -hmm. those two words, cohesive, how do companies and societies become more cohesive and at the same time more co inclusive? And I think that's what I took out. I, I really enjoyed the chat, both Mary and Susie. I, I think did. it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Great. And thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. And yes, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And after the break, we're going to have two more guests and we're talking about lockdown and reopening Ireland. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Business Eye. Yes, Simon, that was uh, an interesting conversation we had in round one. It was... um... Oh, it was great. It was great to get two perspectives, one from a kind of a government uh, technology perspective and then one from uh, a leadership and business perspective. And, And it was all about cohesion and inclusion and growth. It was great. Yeah. Definitely. Well, look, we have an interesting second half of the show. Uh, there's two people that have um, raised my eyebrows um, and especially seeing what they're doing um, and flying that flag. And it's to do really about what it's looking like about opening up after lockdown. And as people know me, I'm very passionate about lockdown. I I believe that we have to do a, a bit of lateral thinking. I think people have to start asking a lot of questions and seeing what can be done instead of listening to one narrative, as they say, and following it. I think people have to start thinking outside the box. So on that, we have Brian Winters. Uh, Brian is really part is a qualified solicitor and he's been pushing the uh reopen our pubs and especially fighting about, about the insurance that the pubs that lost a revenue which has been colossal over the last couple of months as well and then we have connor kelly and connor kelly is connected to a uk branch of um the great reopening and that's about building a, a network of business owners um especially in the sme who feel frustrated and want to open up their businesses again. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. So, I'll open up the, the floor to yourself, Brian. Brian, what has the last 12 months been like uh, for yourself uh, and speaking to business owners uh, right across the country? Well, uh, Joe, from my perspective, I'm a solicitor by profession, but I'm heavily involved in the hospitality sector, uh, both here in Dublin and indeed down the country. And it's no great secret that the hospitality sector has been completely decimated. So you've seen people, um, you know, who have spent their, their, their lives in the industry. It's a generational, some generational businesses. And it's, it has, in fact, been a double hit. And what I mean by that is, you know, your, your pension plan, if you had an aspiration of building up a business over 40 years and your exit strategy was the sale of a pub or restaurant, uh, that, that, that has been taken away from you. We've had a report commissioned whereby the valuations of pubs have more than halved. Couple that, it's been the perfect storm insofar as since March 15th, Many uh, businesses didn't see uh, a gradual decline in their in their income. They saw a complete stop, halt, decimation of, of the revenue stream. Uh, Save Irish Pubs, what we are about uh, relates, as you correctly say, there was a, a, a seminal judgment, which I think has far reaching consequences, not only for pubs, but for small business. And I would go so far to say why, why I started this initiative, it's an, I, I must make it very clear, it's not for profit. Uh, what we are encouraging is uh, publicans to upload their policy to us to be, and they will be afforded the best advice. We've engaged McCann Fitzgerald solicitors, the leading commercial firm. We've three senior counsels engaged and we've a firm of loss assessors. And what drove me to to those lengths was I'm in the very fortuitous position whereby the hospitality is not my mainstay income. But I have seen across Dublin the sheer decimation of of, of business, not only exclusive to the pub industry, but the small barbers, the small hairdressers. You have uh, a, a cohort of listeners there uh, who only know too well, they don't need me to pontificate about how hard this has been. And I will come back to that when I, when I made the point, but the conduct of the insurance industry in this era of corporate and social responsibility, where large corporates are you know, held accountable by their large institutional investors to, as to how to inter, interact with society, uh, you know, their, their regard for the environment, et cetera, et cetera, 
the insurance industry have behaved at best with a belligerent uh, view to small business, but at worst, a complete arrogance and disgrace in depriving people of valid claims. Now, what the insurance industry of Ireland will come out and tell you that we are a very heavy, heavily regulated body and we abide by the rules and regulations. But what they don't tell you is that if you are a small business, and in particular, I, I, I'll use the reference to a pub, what they will do is deny your claim in the first instance. And this has been a systematic approach by the industry. Person, they'll invite and inform the insurance policy uh, to, to go to arbitration. If you, Joe, wish to go to arbitration, it's going to cost you between 100 to 150,000 euros, to, which is beyond the reach of most people. And the insurance companies actually knew that. So the idea of Save Irish Pubs was an initiative and a must compliment Irish distillers. They were the only drinks industry that stepped up to the plate to provide meaningful assistance to customers. And, and of course, they have a vested interest insofar as this is their distribution network, but they have been a fantastic partner. And the whole idea is you upload a policy. I would love to come on your show saying that anyone that uploads their policy, we can guarantee them payment. That's not the case. But what, we, what you will get is a very fair crack at possibly a payout, which is the very lifeline to your industry. I understand that there's the policies and, you know, it's, it's loading up all the paperwork and all, but it's, it's really driving back to the frustration. And one of the things with, with, when speaking to a lot of people as well, I'm understanding that some of them have just given up the fight. Some of them have now got to the stage that they've gone, I've, I'm, I've lost the energy. I've lost the will. I, I can't continue this. I'm decimated on it. And the other thing as well is that we can you can look at that, that the whole the whole pub industry. And I hate using this term wet pubs. I refuse to use it because it is suddenly this made up word that's came along. You know, these are family run businesses and, you know, they're part of communities as well. I live in a small, a small rural area outside Dublin. And the streets are empty. The, the place is just, you know, the, the Christmas trees were put up for an extra month just to cheer people up. What is the psyche of that you are that we are all feeling or what people are feeling in small businesses? Because, you know, I, you know, as you know, Joe, you know, I come from England originally, but I lived in Australia for 10 years and I've been back here four years. And my biggest observation overriding everything, and I'll be careful not to get political here, is that I'm seeing other countries increasingly having quite sophisticated strategies to deal with this. You know, Australia, New Zealand, Korea, Taiwan, China, even America has published an amazingly watertight strategy under the new Biden administration. And yet every time I hear politicians and policymakers, I'm not hearing a strategy. I'm hearing reaction, reaction, reaction. And, and the, what that, it's like a death by a thousand cuts, right? And, and I, you know, I've got a small business. So, so Brian and Connor, I mean, are you, are you seeing the same? There's, there seems to be so little certainty coming down from above compared to other countries. And my concern is that the average person is going to wake up and say, hang about, other countries are managing this in a sophisticated way. Why isn't our government? Yeah, um, well, I haven't followed the strategy of other countries too closely. But uh, one thing, one I would point towards is Sweden, whereby they've protected their vulnerable They've kept businesses open and they have a, a manageable and realistic uh, strategy to living with COVID, not isolating from COVID, you know. And uh, um, one other is, is uh, Florida from the USA. They've kind of like gone against the herd here and lifted all restrictions in September. And if you compare them to one of the most draconian states of the USA, which is uh, California, I believe, they're doing better in every metric, whether it's deaths, hospitalizations, cases and such, you know. So... I think we really need to take a measured approach instead of just constantly kicking the can down the road. I, I think with, with what, I'm, what I'm finding, what I believe as well, it's, and it's, it's only just my opinion that I think there's some bad management and it's, you know, it's the bad management is lock everyone down and then let's steal that because if we, what would we do if we let everyone out? And I think there, 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 there is some guidance and there's data out there that we should be able to look at now. But Connor, I, wanna, I just want to ask you, um, 
what is the mood from the people that you're speaking to? You're part of an organization which is a great reopening and, and there's, you know, the momentum is building within Ireland and it's a very large momentum in the UK as well. What, mm. what, what is the development of it and how is the momentum moving along within this country? And you're probably speaking to a lot of people on grassroots, you know, the, the person that doesn't have a voice but owns the hairdresser or the person that, you know, that has that small shop that wants to open up, who can't afford to pay the bills. What are they saying to you? Um, well, a lot, a lot of the businesses we've talked to so far, uh, some of them have adapted um, in ways that they can, whether it's click and collect or or uh, deliveries and that, you know. Um, but the overall, overwhelming theme is that these people's businesses are on the floor, you know. Um, during during the, the beginning, when uh, they were instructed to put up the, the plastic uh, boards and encourage social distancing and all the various signs and stuff, you know, they adapted to what the government told them. And then they were locked down anyway. So we're, it's a lot of struggle. That's that's the kind of overarching thing that comes from it. Is people are absolutely struggling. And I don't know how much more they're going to survive, you know. Yeah, and Brian, Brian, I mean, your campaign, I've mentioned the government before, but I don't know. So I'm asking the question, is the government supportive of it? Uh, to what extent are they supportive of this kind of activity or are they not supportive? I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking. Um, I think I, I I have a certain sympathy for the government. I'm apolitical. I'll, I'll declare my hand on that. Um, I think the reaction from the hospitality, you'd hear a lot of criticism uh, that it, the, the responses have been inadequate. Um, I, I tend to disagree. I, I found, you know, the the wage subsidy and uh, the, the various grants, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a small country with limited means. Um, the big bugbear I have, and, and you're going to hear me constantly hark back, is uh, the the lack of, um, of, 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 righteousness or the sense that the insurance companies as to how they approached small business was quite disgusting. Um, on that note, just as, 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 a, as, a, as a consequence of um, the FBD ruling, and it's very relevant to, to both Connor's organization and, and indeed many of your listeners, uh, which is outside of the pub realm, but we received in uh, quite a cohort of policies from small barbers uh, and the company was iSure, which was a UK company that primarily insured small cafes, small hairdressers and small barbers. And they have capitulated now. Um, so, uh, you know, for I, I commend organizations like uh, Connors. Um, I think it's very important, though, that when an insurance company makes that decision, that it's communicated to the wider community because, you know, and it's very much... Uh, you know, uh, the situation that, you know, united, you know, you're stronger, whereas, you know, the, the insurance industry love this kind of disparate and people not knowing the left hand, not knowing what the right hand is doing. Um, in relation to the government response, um, I, I do, it seems to be, a, there seems to be an element of organized chaos. Um, I think, um, you know, that that certainty is required. And if that certainty is to take the guise of, you know, you take, you know, similar models like New Zealand, where they took the uh, sharp pain at the outset. And, you know, it's, it's very easy, you know, hindsight is the foresight of a fool. It's very easy to look back and say, you know, we shouldn't have opened at Christmas, we shouldn't. But what you can do is you have a greater understanding now of how the virus is behaving. You have a greater understanding of, 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 of areas uh, that we have to be conscious of. You know, the, the, the visiting houses and large gatherings is something that probably will not be, uh, um, you know, on the horizon for 2021. But really and truly, should I be precluded from going in having my hair cut? Um, you know, back to Connor's point where, you know, a small business has kind of that it might be only sums of two, three thousand uh, in putting up the screens and protection and then to be told, well, you're going to be closed anyway. Um, you know, I, I think there has to be from a small business perspective, you know, the, 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 these grand statements of, you know, we're doing this for the greater community. I think they have to get more granular. I think they have to understand yeah. You know where the, how the virus is behaving. You know, and I, I'm well. I think the small in- the, the small business um, society said that when they looked at all, and we had them on there a, a couple of weeks ago, 
that, you know, they looked at all the barbers and all the hairdressers and they went out of their way to protect themselves and protect their customers. And, you know, in in all of these, the count of COVID or people that got COVID in these was, was, was yes. Yeah. So why, why close them down? Um, there's there's one thing that I, I feel and I was saying to this Simon before the show, um, uh, and I'll, I'll open up to yourself, Connor, this question as well. There is only so much that people can take um, before, you know, the last straw that breaks the camel's back. Are you feeling that or do you would you agree with that or are you, you, you feeling that's what's happening within the small business associate, the small business um, entrepreneurs that you're speaking to? Absolutely. Uh, I think at a certain point, these people realize that they've got nothing to lose, whether or they've everything to lose if they don't open the doors and generate some kind of revenue, you know. So I think uh, like it's a small momentum at the moment for over time i think you're going to see more and more of these small businesses just deciding that they either have to open their doors or they're going to close them permanently you know so that's kind of one of our main goals is to connect the uh, businesses who want to open with customers who want to support them and are you within that are are people i know some people who want to open their businesses but their landlords are refusing to open up to allowing them to open their business are you finding that that's one of the one of your concern one of the concerns uh i haven't heard much of that uh kind of concern specifically it's more the fear of fines that uh people prevent prevent them from opening their doors or fear of uh, government repercussions you know so yeah well, it's it's always been in uh, the the government in Ireland or the political system has always you know frightened the Irish with large fines. That's what they've done mm. for many years. Yeah, I, I, I get I do get the sense, Joe, that and I'm you know I'm listening to the media all day long that there seems to be a tipping point happening right now. And I think the government, I think the government really is a bit on a bit of a back foot right now. And you know, particularly when. You know, we're seeing other countries accelerating the vaccination programs and managing this well. And, and you know, you said it well, Brian, about, you know, that kind of um, there needs to be more granularity. There needs to be more granularity. It's very easy just to lock, lock everything down. But, you know, my local barbers in Churchtown, you've got to go through four levels of protection before you sit on your seat. I mean, you don't get that when you just talk to somebody in the street, you know. So, Brian, how do you think, the, how do we become more granular? How does the government do it? How does, what needs to be done? Well, I think I, a couple of points I'd say to that, you know, I'm, I'm not a virologist or I'm not, I don't have a scientific background, but, uh, you know, you alluded to the point that, you know, that, that the, the outbreaks are not happening in your local barber uh, in, in, in Churchtown. It's, you know, kind of large gatherings and pubs and house parties and whatever. So, the one thing I, you, I would like to see government be more like, and, I, and I, I'd be kind of an advocate that they have done their best with, with, with a very difficult scenario. But what I'd like to see is kind of from now going forward is be far more proactive in relation to look at the businesses from a debt profile, for instance. You know, the, you know, the banks are there. They have cap capital adequacy ratios to adhere to. They have given, you know, the, the holidays to, to businesses. But again, it's that uncertainty that's crippling businesses to, to think if I owe, be it a 10,000 or do I owe a million quid, what's going to happen in six months' time? And I had a very interesting conversation with a colleague in relation to new examinership laws uh, for small business where, you know, in relation to landlords that they can be forced to write down. And, and you know, I'd, I'd like to see more proactive pro-business initiatives being taken. You know, you have the SBCI there, the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland that has money for nothing, 2 billion in funds that they managed to get 120 million out. That Those funds should be redeployed to buy debt off banks so that as opposed to paying back, you know, 50,000 over five years, that suddenly you're, you're paying that back out over 20 years. Um, so th th there's a number of kind of initiatives that could be can be undertaken um, by the powers that be that would make a real substantial difference to business when they reopen. And look, you know, in the famous words of Abraham Lincoln, this too will pass. But my concern is not when we open, but what will happen when we open. Yeah. Joe? 
you're on mute, Joe. Yeah. What, one, one of the concerns that I have is who's going to pay all this money back? That's it. You know, all these grants mm-hmm. and investments and everything that is in the billions. You know, I'm looking at my four-year-old daughter and I'm going to go, you're going to be paying for all this. So, and you, you know, have, it's, it's, well, again, again, I think a, a positive a positive news story there is you have the, the, um, the reopening and resilience fund from the European Union. That's a 600 billion fund. You know, I'd like to see the Irish government put out a more proactive story saying, look, under this, uh, uh, the, 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 the grants available, the, the low cost loans, money has never been cheaper. To take on a bold initiative and then come back to Simon's kind of, you know, uh, point there about being granular, to be able to identify certain sectors, to identify the debt profile, to be able to say, look, if, if AIB have a debt exposure to pubs of 1 billion, we're going to buy that through the SBCI and instead of paying rates of, you know, six and a half, seven percent that we'll, we'll, we'll relend the money out at two percent over a longer period to give businesses a real like that, as opposed to grants is, is given a, a real uh, benefit to your bottom line, to your working capital and giving you a chance to, to actually survive. To do it. Okay. Gentlemen, if um, people want to reach out to your organization or support you in any way, uh, Connor, where can people find yourself or the organization? So if uh, people want to find us, they can go to www.the-great-reopening.com and you can find everything you need to know there. Okay. And Brian, yourself? Dave Irishpubs.ie. Dave Irishpubs.ie. Perfect. And thank you, gentlemen, That's for it. coming on to the show. Thank you. Simon, what do you think? You know, it was interesting in both halves of the show, the term this too shall pass came up both times. And it will, like everything passes. I guess my big concern is for those people who don't have, you know, the mindset to get through this. I think, you know, we really, really need to support those people who just are feeling a bit fragile and frail right now. I think that's the key thing you know i mean we'll get through this but yeah this is a challenge and i think you know coming in out of winter and into spring i think people are expecting everything to be opened i don't think it is so we just need to really really and i think this show and this channel you know really it's about the community you know so that's what came out for me it it is and and you know it's as you said that it's you know this shall pass but you know, a lot of people out there are feeling it. Um, and the one thing that I wish would open and the one thing that, I, you know, I think needs to open is our schools. I think out of yeah. everything, that's the first and that has to be priority. You know, our school up the road, wonderful, no cases. Why is it closed? That's, you know, the question that I'm asking and other people are asking. But until next week, look, um, if anybody wants to find myself and Simon, they can go to dublinsouthfm.com forward slash business hyphen I, and you'll find all our previous shows in there. And there's links to myself and Simon's uh, websites in there as well, if you want to connect. And look, until next week, be safe and God bless. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. 